0: Welcome to Talking Europe from the European Parliament in Strasbourg. Is something rotten in the heart of Europe? Now, the European Union is one of the least corrupt regions in the world. Yet a majority of Europeans in a recent poll said they didn't think the EU was doing enough to crack down on the weak links in their own house. And the recent Qatargate cash for favors scandal, the lobbying scandal at the European Parliament, suggests they may have a point. And that's where my guest today enters the frame. Emily O'Reilly is a former prize-winning journalist. She's an author, a broadcaster. But since 2013, she has been the European Ombudsman. Okay, fancy title, but what is she? She's basically an EU-wide ethical watchdog that fields complaints about the work of European institutions and agencies. And then what does she do? She does a deep dive into what went wrong, why it went wrong, and here's the catch, proposes ways to fix it. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And, and Edley Ed O'Reilly, I was just talking about weak links in the European Union House. And uh, you're out with a new report about what seems to be a very weak link. Most of us will remember the sinking of the Adriana migrant ship uh, last June 2023 off the Greek coast. Uh, it capsized and sank, killing more than 600 migrants. You might say, "Okay, we've had a lot of headlines like that. It was, even by the standards of migrant tragedies, it's one of the worst in recent times, if not the worst. Your report found something stunning. Uh, Basically, everyone watched, almost in real time, this tragedy happening, knew the ship was doomed. No one helped, not an EU agency, not the authorities, not the governments, not civil society, not private institutions. What went wrong? How can we fix it?
1: Well, that was the starting point of the investigation. This didn't come about as a result of a complaint. Like any citizen, I read about this. 600 people drowned in European waters. The Frontex, the European uh, Coast Guard and Border Agency, looking on, the Greek Coast Guard looking on, the civil society looking on, mm. the Italian Coast Guard also being aware of it. Everybody watching the ship as it drifted or sailed for about 15 hours before it sank, before it capsized, 600
0: people drowned. There was one Greek Coast Guard ship basically watching this Yeah, well, uh, right
1: we did we didn't, we didn't examine what the Greek Coast Guard did. The Greek Ombudsman is looking at that. The Greek Naval Court is looking at that. So what we did was look at what an EU agency did, and that is the European uh, Border and Coast Guard Agency. It was there at the beginning. It was there at the end. It wasn't there in the middle. So what we, the question we wanted to have answered is, um, what was Frontex supposed to do in situations like that? What did it do? and where are the gaps? So what we found was that the rules governing Frontex's uh, cooperation with the member states are such that don't allow it actually to be a Coast Guard in the sense that you and I would uh, understand it. And that the rules prevent it from playing an active role in
0: in search and rescue. So what do you do? Do, What does the report suggest? Doing away with Frontex? Uh...
1: Uh, No. (laughs) Uh, Well, There is a gap, there's a lack of balance between the powers of Frontex and the powers of the member states. So once the Greek Coast Guard was alerted to this, it was in charge, and Frontex had to do what the Greek Coast Guard told it to do. On Mm. four separate occasions, Frontex said, we want to help you. We want to send drones, planes over to help you, you know, with, uh, with this aerial surveillance over the Adriana. On four occasions, the Greek Coast Guard simply didn't respond. And because of that, you might think, well, you know, there were people's lives at stake. Perhaps Frontex could have, on its own initiative, uh, gone and seen what was happening. But under the rules, it couldn't. So what we're asking the legislators to do is to look at that and see if there can be a rebalancing. But we're also saying to Frontex, um, it did initially survey the, the boat, it videoed it for about 10 minutes, it judged that it was not in immediate danger, and therefore it did not issue a mayday signal. So we're saying those terms seem very narrow. You need to reflect on... Uh, these issues around when you uh, issue mayday calls because they don't have any protocols or rules within the agency itself. And on a wider level, we're asking for a public inquiry, not into the Adriana as such, but into all of the deaths, the thousands of deaths that have happened in the Mediterranean over the last number of years. It's
0: it's quite a daunting challenge. I know this report now is on the desk of the top echelons in the EU. They're going to have to consider it and, and your proposals. You know, tied to Frontex, right, there was a former director of Frontex. His name was Fabrice Liguerre, he, just in the past couple of weeks, joined the far-right party in France. Basically, not just joined it, but joined it saying that Europe's being submerged by migrants, and Europe ma- says that uh, Europe uh, doesn't think migrants are a problem, they think that migration's a project. How do you respond to that? This is a former head of that border security agency.
1: Well, I don't want to comment on what Mr. Legere said. Obviously, he was involved in an investigation by OLAF, the European Anti-Fraud Agency, in relation to alleged uh, pushbacks by, um, by Greek authorities over the last number of years. But uh, where it, it comes into our investigation is it, Madam, uh, the Commission President madame von der Leyen in 2021 she said saving um, lives at sea is not optional mm. in other words you know we have to save lives at sea an and what I try and do in my job is look to see what the EU wants to do or can do or should do what they actually do do and then help them to join that gap so if they want saving lives at sea to be a priority Uh, and they don't want events like such as the Adriana tragedy happening, then they have to change the rules. It's as simple as that. Whether there is the political will to do it, I don't know, but my job is done. I've done a forensic investigation of Frontex, what it can do, what it can't do, how search and rescue is compromised by the rules that currently exist, and now it's over to the legislators to change that if they wish.
0: Another issue obviously tied to migration, which is a hot ticket item in the EU in these upcoming elections. You've been very critical of the types of deals that the European Union has struck with countries like Tunisia, essentially paying these countries, Turkey before that, essentially paying them off in order to block migrants from being able to leave and come to European shores. And for you, the concern and and in your job is Potential violations of fundamental human rights. Explain that.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, what we simply do is we look at the rule book and we say what the, the Commission is supposed to do in, in relation to deals like this, what it, what it did do, and see if there are any gaps. And in this occasion, we were looking to see whether they had done a human rights assessment, uh, you know, prior to signing this deal with Tunisia. Uh, and if not, why not? And now, what did they do to uh, to remedy that?
0: What have you so, heard back? What so,
1: if- yeah, we, we actually have just heard back from them and uh, we, we will be reporting on that um, fairly soon so it, it's not that I'm if they, if political choices are made fine but within the political choices you have to do certain things you're obliged to do certain things particularly in relation to your fundamental rights obligations so it's one thing to have all the wonderful fundamental rights rhetoric that we hear a lot from, from from EU leaders, and then we see what concretely happens. Mm. So my job is sort of hold a mirror up to that. And then again, it's over to the legislators to decide what to do. But it also allows the citizens to see what is being done or not being done in their name.
0: You have um, made comments recently the fact that you have concerns about what is clearly a resurgence or gains by far right parties and movements in Europe. And I'm curious that you, you, you've talked about mainstream politicians drifting right in order to perhaps lure uh, the, the, the far right electorate. Um, that all ties into what we're talking about, the migrant, the response to migrants. Is that going to sap the will? of the European Union to do anything if you have a drift to the right? These well, types
1: well, you, well, obviously it can impact on environmental legislation, all sorts of legislation that, that is progressive and that will ultimately be a benefit to citizens. But I sort of take my cue, oddly enough, from uh, or my thinking about this from, from Brexit uh, and, and the way that, that Nigel Farage, who wasn't even an elected politician, right. but hugely... Influential, Hard
0: right, British and uh, exactly. English and the
1: reason that David Cameron, the former UK Prime Minister, decided to have a referendum on, on Brexit, and we saw how that turned out, on the UK uh, leaving the EU, was because he was afraid of, 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 of Nigel Farage. And now you've seen a right-wing drift, certainly, in, in, in the UK and in other places. And as Mr Farage said quite rightly, I didn't move, I didn't change, everybody else came towards me. So, you know, with the European elections taking place, whether at member state level uh, or, or at parliament elections, you know, politicians have to be mindful that they don't drift in a way that might ultimately be damaging to citizens in the short medium to long term simply because they're afraid that they might be outclassed you know or, or outvoted at uh, at election time for for uh, by 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 far right uh, and other groupings like that because again what we we saw in the Netherlands recently where some of the more centrist parties moved a little bit to the right and yet The far right, Wilders, won. Now they're still forming a government and all of that. And again, somebody said, you know, why go for the fake when you can have the real thing? So They say that in
0: America too, with Donald Trump. Yeah,
1: exactly. So uh, that that is something, and I think that's something that people like yourselves will be be looking at very carefully over the next, uh, and closely over the next few months.
0: A little bit of time left. I mentioned the Qatar Gates scandal. I guess that was the big worldwide headline grabbing scandal that woke everyone up to the reality of there 's corruption, corruption in the European Union. Um, in the wake of that, um, the Vice President of the European Commission announced a new interinstitutional ethics body. Critics have called it toothless. Have you had any sense of what that body has done to date? How Does it conflict with your job a little bit? Um, are you stepping on each other's toes? Well, no, I don't think so, because, first of all, um, one, of,
1: one of the things that's clear about this ethics body, it might change, is that it won't be um, an investigatory body. It won't be able to carry out investigations. You're the investigation. It will set standards yeah. right. uh, rather than investigate, you know, claims that are made against individual, you know, commissioners, commission officials, whatever, uh, parliamentarians. Uh, so in that sense, it's very much a watered down version from what was initially uh, envisaged or what citizens thought was envisaged
0: when this was proposed a few years ago. Right, right. We we are actually out of time. We always run out of time too quickly. But I, I just want to mention that you know you've said in the past that um, you always grew up admiring the European Union and you've believed that the European Union is generally is a force for good, generally in the world. Mm. Would you agree, though, that it's facing particularly tough times? I,
1: I believe that so, so strongly, and that informs so much of my work. And I think it informed my decision to do the investigation into the Adriana tragedy. Because I think in a world where there are a lot of bad guys and girls emerging... You know, Europe really is a global force for good. And, and people sort of dismiss soft power as not being the same or as, as powerful as, 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 uh, as executive power. But Europe can be a huge force for good globally. And part of my job, even though we're
0: a little office, is, is to try and keep the good guys good. Thank you so much, Emily O'Reilly. I'm going to leave on, a, on an optimistic note. European Union, a force for good in the world. If you have complaints about the EU, Yes, there is someone you can go to, and she's sitting right here. Emily O'Reilly, thank you so much today. Thank you very much. Thank you. The European Union ombudsman, ombudswoman, (laughs) I I suppose. person, whatever. (laughs) Absolutely. And thanks to all of you for watching us today here on Talking Europe. We'll be back shortly.